0: Good evening and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website at independent.org. We've got another fantastic show in store for you this evening, and I'm joined by our co-host, Amba Gagarian.
1: Hi, John. It's great to be here with you and all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org.
0: Thanks, Amba. On today's show, we're going to look at Eric Adams' crackdown on unhoused people sheltering in the subway system.
1: That's right. We're going to speak with Alex Vitale, author of The End of Policing, and we will also hear from a homeless member of the advocacy group Vocal New
0: York. And later in the show, we're going to talk with people defending public goods that working-class New Yorkers depend on in defending these public goods from privatization. We'll, we'll speak with a member of the United Front Against Displacement, which is a part of a protest on Saturday at the Harlem River Houses. And we'll also speak with uh, a tenant uh, leader from the Harlem River Houses, which NYCHA is currently turning over to a private slumlord to manage.
1: And then we'll speak with retired teacher Roberta Pixar about the battle to keep the city from transferring 250,000 retired city workers from Medicare to the privately run Medicare Advantage.
0: But first, we turn to the latest front in Mayor Eric Adams' crusade for public safety. New York City's vast subway system. On Friday, Mayor Adams announced that the city would now be taking a, quote, zero-tolerance approach to unhoused people in the subway system. His announcement followed several high-profile crimes committed in the subway system in the past month, including the killing of Alyssa Go by a homeless man who pushed her onto the subway tracks in front of an incoming train. This is Mayor Adams.
2: So we were going to sustain and ensure that we don't continue to see a decline in ridership. We want to reduce the amount of people who no longer want to take our trains or invest in our city. We want to ensure that tourists and others are safe on our subway system.
3: Adams says every worker underground will act as eyes and ears to spot and report problems. Police officers and other individuals will also crack down on fare beating and stop people who simply ride the subway endlessly with all their belongings. No more
2: smoking. No more doing drugs. No more sleeping. No more doing barbecues on the subway system. No more just doing whatever you want.
0: No, those days are over. Joining us now to talk about Mayor Adams' new strategy for policing the homeless, and I guess uh, policing uh, the barbecue pits in the uh, subway system, uh, is Alex Vitale. Alex is a professor of sociology at Brooklyn College and the author of The End of Policing. He is also the author of City of Disorder, How the Quality of Life Campaign Transformed New York Politics. Alex, welcome back to the show. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Uh, For starters, uh, can you give your reaction to Eric Adams' uh, comments on his strategy for policing the homeless in the subway system, as well as the motivations he expressed, which seem to revolve around making the city feel safer for office workers and tourists?
3: Well, unfortunately, I think what we're seeing here is a return to Giuliani time, in essence, that he has no plan to actually address the problems of homelessness, untreated mental health, and substance abuse problems. And he's falling back on policing. And he's relying on a kind of get-tough rhetoric as if the folks on the subway just need to, like, pull their pants up, one of Adams's other favorite strategies for improving living conditions in New York, right? And so, of course, this is all meant for the consumption by the public. Not the folks that he's targeting. This is all political theater designed to make it look like he's doing something when at best what he's doing is making the lives of folks sheltering in the subways dramatically worse with with no real plan to address their underlying needs.
1: And, and talk about this, uh, something that really caught me off guard was the, the the mention of barbecuing. I mean, that's something we can talk about and what that represents. But also, this is going to result in policing of everyone on the subway systems. Um, if you can't afford a ride jumping the turnstile, much greater chance that you're going to have to pay a 100 to $150 summons. Um, you can't ride aimlessly, as was mentioned. Talk about all of that.
3: Well, and I don't think we're just talking about the subway here right? This is Adams's vision for the entire city, a return to broken windows policing, an intense focus on, quote, quality of life. Uh, I think we need to issue a new edition of City of Disorder because the issues that I raised in that book over a decade ago are uh, in, in regard to the rise of Giuliani and the politics of Giuliani are all coming up again in exactly the same form. So, when we unleash policing in a in a space like the subway it's not going to be limited to talking nicely to a few homeless people to get them to leave the subway right once those officers are present they will be drawn to all kinds of behaviors that are going to result in the criminalization of young people for you know disorder so-called disorderly behavior the, the criminalization of poor people, the criminalization of street vendor, you know, vendors selling stuff in the subway. So I think we're going to see a much broader kind of criminalization of the already most marginal populations in the city, M- most elaborate- vulnerable. Let me say the most vulnerable populations. That's, that's what I would
0: call. It. Right. And can you elaborate a little bit more on why uh, you've written in other venues that, um, uh, you, you believe uh, more policing uh, of this sort is bound to be a failure, even, even though it's popular political theater?
3: Well, look, let's just take a step back for a second, right? This is not a new problem. This is a problem that has festered for decades, for literally now generations. The city, beginning in the Koch administration, you know, systematically dismantled housing for the very poor, the city, the state, the federal government dismantled, defunded community-based mental health services and state hospitals. And then when something tragic happens, it's an emergency that must be dealt with tomorrow. And the only tool we could possibly use is intensive policing. So, there's stuff in the mayor's plan about outreach workers and a couple of drop-in centers and a few stabilization beds and there's like one sentence about, you know, well, in theory we'd like to create some more supportive housing, but there's no money in his budget to do that. There's no nothing in the state budget to do that. And so the problem is being turned over to policing, which represents a kind of profound political failure. And we've seen this before. We've seen this under Koch. During Koch, it was both homelessness and the issue of graffiti. They criminalized graffiti. Some people were seriously injured. One person was killed. They put dogs on the tracks, you know, in the train yards. It had no positive effect. It was only when they invested in the infrastructure of new trains, cleaning crews, paint crews, did the graffiti problem get better? Policing failed. And the same thing's going to be true on the homelessness front. They're going to push people outside who are then going to come right back in because they have no stable place to go.
0: Right. And I uh, wanted to ask you in particular about the role that evictions play in creating more homelessness. Um, uh, later in this show, we're going to be talking with tenants um, at the NYCHA houses in, in uh, um, Harlem, uh, the Harlem river houses who are fighting against a uh, private slumlord that's coming in there and is thought to be very likely to start evicting many of the tenants. But I mean, we see, I mean, rent regulated tenants uh, get evicted, non rent regulated tenants, NYCHA tenants. Can you talk about uh, the impact of, of housing policies on homelessness? I mean, it ought to be obvious, but can you just kind of break it down for well, us? The,
3: the city doesn't have a policy right and Adams did not campaign on any real platform to do anything about this he made a few little side promises and then when we look at his brand new budget proposal none of the money for any of those things is actually in there Adams's plan for housing is to do deals with private developers that's his plan and to let landlords do whatever they want and that's going to come at the expense of folks who are in the most vulnerable circumstances. Uh, some will manage to find other low-cost housing, but especially those people who have mental health and substance abuse problems are going to be the most likely to end up homeless and unserved by the city's withering, so, you know, tattered social safety net. And so if anything, we should expect these problems to get worse, not better. And a couple of hundred, you know, transition beds with nowhere to transition to is not going to fix it.
1: And what do you see as the real, real solution or possible real solutions um, to homelessness and
3: the homelessness crisis? It's actually not that complicated. We've known for decades what the solution is. It's supportive housing, yeah. period. Right. So the reality is we we decimated the stock of housing. That was accessible to people with little or no income because of health problems of one kind or another, or they've fallen off the social safety net. And so, you know, those folks are going to continue to cycle through shelters that are dangerous and dirty, emergency rooms, jail lockups, and sleeping wherever they can. And the city has no plan to do anything about that. And Mayor Adams' plan is to use the police to put a lid on the consequences of that absence of any real plan.
0: Can you point to any other cities in the United States or outside of the United States uh, that you feel like have taken a more constructive approach to these kind of problems? And yeah, what those you know, approaches uh, were.
3: in Jacksonville, which is interesting, it's a conservative Republican military town, and that's kind of re- relevant here. They made a conscious political decision to house homeless veterans. Now, that's only one slice of the homeless population, but they did it. They bought out motels, they built affordable housing, they created supported housing programs, and it just shows that when you have the political will to actually do it we know how to do it other cities are trying to move in this direction austin recently you know bought out a hotel and then took money out of the police department budget that had been used to harass homeless people and used that money to provide the supportive services that allow people to remain stably housed even if they have mental health, substance abuse, uh, income deficiencies, etc., so that there are social workers, clinical workers, income supports available for folks so that they stay housed. And that is the solution to this problem.
0: And, hey, and, and, you know, there's all this uh, talk by Adams of wanting to get the office workers back into Midtown and all of that. I mean, do you think, um, anybody's ready for the conversation about maybe how we start to turn some of the uh, unused office buildings into some uh, form of uh, public housing is. is could that, well, you happen? know,
3: d- during the pandemic, we converted hotels into emergency housing and some support services were provided. And, and this was a really positive development, but the minute that he could de Blasio forced people out of those hotels and back into Homelessness, which is probably part of why the situation in the subway has gotten worse. And so we need to have a comprehensive plan, whether that's converting commercial space into housing, converting tourist hotels into housing, or just building more housing. And this is the thing that, uh, you know, both liberals and conservatives absolutely refuse to do. You know, Giuliani shut the door on the idea that city government should be in the business of actually developing housing and housing people. And ever since him, Bloomberg, de Blasio, Adams are relying on free market strategies with little bits of like government set-asides, like the 80-20 program. And this is going to do nothing to address the problems of mass homelessness.
1: Right. And so what do you tell people who are alarmed by the recent murders of Alyssa Go and Christina Yuna Lee, who were both um, killed by homeless people recently? Uh,
3: what's your response to people who are saying, lock them up? Well, first, it's not going to work. And second, w- yes, we need outreach workers. We need a massive uh, group of outreach workers who can go down into the subways to talk with people. And to create a more stable situation for the folks that are down there, to reduce the degree to which folks are disrupting the subway for other people. So I agree there need to be immediate interventions, but sending armed police is inherently destabilizing and may actually contribute to more violence because people don't want to be arrested or forced into hospitalization, in part because they know that neither of those things will do anything to solve their problem. So let's get some peer-to-peer outreach workers and other kinds of outreach and mental health outreach workers out there to, to talk to people, to monitor people, to offer people what limited services are available, but Introducing the police is counterproductive and inhuman, inhuman, And, and frankly, a violation of international law because people have a right to seek secure shelter, and we're not doing that. We're criminalizing them when they attempt to do so.
0: Right. And uh, in terms of the city's uh, priorities, uh, Eric Adams recently released his proposed city budget for the coming year. Uh, It envisions a three percent budget cuts to most uh, city agency, but no reduction in funding for the NYPD. Uh, I think here in a moment, we're going to go to a clip of Mayor Adams uh, speaking about his budget.
2: Talk about the major challenges we're facing at this moment. There are three significant issues that would affect the budget and our fin- financial stability. First, public safety. Every New Yorker is rightly concerned about the rising crime and other threats to our quality of life. Second, our city's economic outcome is pick and abstain. But that recovery would be delayed if New Yorkers do not feel safe in our city. That is why every single action we are taking places public safety and justice at the center of the decision-making process.
3: Well, unfortunately, his, his idea about public safety is the opposite of justice. When, when we hear this quality of life language, what that means is austerity. What that means is enabling more austerity. So he's going to continue to cut the city's most essential basic services and then manage the resulting problems through intensive and invasive policing. And one of the effects of this is it's going to radically drive up the population on Rikers Island, which we know is a nightmare that's completely mismanaged and is killing people on a regular basis. So if we're really concerned about saving lives, we should be just as concerned about the lives of folks who are housing themselves and sheltering themselves in the subway system as we are about the terrible tragedies that occur to subway riders. All of these things need to be considered. All of these people are human beings. And the mayor has made it clear he does not care about the lives of these people living on the subways.
0: And just, uh, I guess, taking a, a broader angle lens, uh, when it comes to addressing homelessness, I mean, obviously the 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 city you know doesn't want to spend a lot of money on it. Um, because that would inconvenience, uh, I guess, wealthy taxpayers. But also, to what extent do you think, uh, you know, government policymakers and and the private sector essentially see homelessness as sort of a a form of social discipline that uh, reminds everybody else who does have a roof over their heads of what could happen to them if they, you know, don't uh, uh, produce uh, enough in our capitalist economy?
3: I mean, I think it, it obviously can have that effect, but I don't think most people directly identify with the people they see on the subway because it's pretty obvious that those folks are suffering from pretty severe problems that most people consider themselves somewhat immune to. And we have, you know, capitalism in Europe, but we don't have this kind of mass homelessness. And we had, a, you know, predatory capitalism here in the United States up until the 1980s. Without this kind of mass homelessness. So what what we're seeing is an, an, an intensive, long-term commitment to austerity backed up by policing. And one of the consequences of that is going to be mass homelessness and the disruptions that go with it.
1: And, and, you know, you mentioned how the population of Rikers will be rising as a result of this extra policing of homelessness and marginalized communities in New York. Uh, As you said, Rikers is in tatters now. That is very serious. Rikers has been in tatters. Conditions are heinous. And the um the the head of docs the department of commissions was just changed to someone who was definitely less reform friendly we had hunger strikes from people inside of rikers in the past couple months because of how deadly the conditions are 15 people died last year so your thoughts on adam's bringing back a new and better trained plain clothes unit calling for the reversal of bail reform calling for subway fare evasion to again be arrestable and arrestable offense
3: Look, Adams has made it clear he's going to do the bidding of the police and corrections unions. Which means there's not going to be any more public oversight, there's not going to be any accountability, there's going to be cover-ups and abuse. And I think that's what what we can expect here. Now, he will try very hard to paint a certain, you know, happy face on all of this with all this talk about, you know, body cameras and special training. But we've got an ocean of research that shows that stuff doesn't work. And my big concern is, you know, what happens when there's another Amadou Diallo? What happens when there's another Abner Luima? What happens when there's another Khalif Browder? Because Adams is creating the conditions that make those kinds of tragedies much more likely to occur at a time where I think huge parts of the public will be, infuriated by
0: it right ab- absolutely and, and and the protests were so strong just less than two years ago and and it's like it, he's trying to pretend that never happened um but one more question before we have to uh, go and we we have uh, another great guest uh, in, in in waiting in the wings uh, but uh, uh he, your thoughts on, I, I kind of call it the citizen appification of everyday life, just the way the kind of the media environment we're now dealing with in this, in this city of nine million people where any single criminal incident can become so strongly amplified, uh, you know, through the legacy media, social media. Um, I mean, these are all, uh, you know, uh, tragic events, yet it, it sometimes feels like, The media makes it feel like we're living in a a small village, but we're living in a city of nine million people. And it just seems like there's no way we're ever going to erase all crime. Yet this uh, super kinetic media environment, um, I I don't know, it seems to kind of create a a dynamic where at least part of the public uh, is kind of constantly kept in a state of fear.
3: You know, these these kinds of videos get amplified when they fit a pre-existing media narrative. And that pre-existing media narrative right now is that the city is out of control and we need more policing. And the reason for that media narrative is it's a direct, intentional attack on the movement that got underway, you know, that was exploding two years ago. It started well before that. But is, you know, reached this new apex two years ago. This is in a direct attempt by media to undermine oh, the idea that we need to invest in communities, not in policing. And Adams shares that view, as do his rich backers. And so we've got to go back to demanding real investments in things like supportive housing, safe consumption sites, community based mental health services. Because these are the things that provide real public safety.
0: Okay, we'll have to leave it there. But Alex Vitale, author of The End of Policing, thanks so much for joining us again on WBAI Radio. Thanks, John. Thanks, Amba.
1: Thanks. Now we're going to speak with Peter Malvin, who spent 32 years living as a homeless New Yorker. During that time, he lived in the subway systems, in shelters, and parks. And from 1991 to 2011, he actually was working jobs. Peter has now been housed for the past year and a half, and he's the vice president of Midnight Run and a homeless advocate with Safety Nest Project, Persons with Lived Experience NYC, Homeless Can't Stay Home, Vocal New York, and a member of the Coalition for Homeless NYC. Welcome, Peter.
4: Hello. Um, Go ahead.
1: Start out by telling us what it's like to live in the subway and how does that differ from shelters, parks or the street?
4: Okay. In the subway, okay, I'll give you an example. In the subway, um, one can social distance. It may not be pretty, but you can social distance. Um, You can actually fairly protect yourself from the big virus, the big pandemic. You can achieve that in the subway. Whereas if you're in a shelter, you could be lying two feet from someone in um, a room with poor, if any, ventilation, some rooms with no windows, some rooms with 20 people. Um, you could be in a hotel, and the whole, you, you're, you have to be um, vulnerable in some way, whether you have heart trouble, breathing trouble, and you um, have to get in elevators where there's lots of other people, and the infection rate, and the shelter system is this set up to be phenomenal.
1: Right. And, and tell us a little bit about um, what what it's like being homeless in New York in general. How do New York, how do other New Yorkers treat you? How do workers treat you? How do unhoused people treat you?
4: Okay. If you're homeless, first when you become homeless, there's this sense of shame people have. Then there's a sense of loss people have. And in 1991, my first example of how people treat people who are homeless is there was a woman who was stout, had the odor of urine, was clearly ill. And when people got on the train in rush hour, um, they would like basically talk trash. She's dirty. She's stink. Why don't she get out of here? The woman couldn't go anywhere if she wanted to. She was. She actually cried. Now, if you go into the subway, um, if you ride at night, you'll see people talking about the homeless. But they're actually talking about, okay, this could be me. And I don't want that to happen. And I would hate to be in that situation. But they can't say that. They can't even acknowledge it. It's fear. It's fear of becoming that person.
0: Right. And your reaction to the mayor's plan to uh, flood the subways with more cops?
4: Okay. It reminds Okay, I'm going to use a word that nobody likes when I use. I think it's an atrocity. People in the subway are human beings who have lost all. They've been through a pandemic where everything was shut down and um, the city got federal guidance to allow them to hunker down on the street and isolate um, and survive the pandemic. But the city opted to change the word encampment to pop up. And the city actually did more sweeps or cleanups um, in the last half of 2021 than in the history of the Department of Homeless Services. And that sent a lot of people into the subway. When the city um, decided to recongregate the shelter system, that sent a lot more into the subway system and whether the subway system that seems quite a bit safer and healthier than our shelter system, Mm. and this is a shelter system where they're going to cut the budget of Department of Homeless Services, Um, and the Department of Homeless Services are so short on personnel to actually work towards housing people is
0: ridiculous. That's a damning indictment of that more. agency.
4: Yeah, this, that any position, we just had a pandemic. People left their jobs, people died, and there's openings, and all those openings are going to be retrenched. Now, if you have 70,000 people in a system and you have supposedly uh, uh means to house them in uh, growing in a city where there's a growing vacancy rate, and you cut the budget for um, the personnel who need to do the work to house them, then you stagnate that system at $4,000 a head per month. Whereas housing them only cost $2,000 a month. And it's a permanent, humane system as opposed to putting them in a situation where they can die from infections.
1: And and speaking of dangerous situations, Peter, um, you know, we talk a lot about crimes or often in the news media, people talk about crimes that homeless people commit, um, like the recent very, very unfortunate Killings that we mentioned either in the show earlier in the show, but talk a little bit about crimes against homeless people and the relationship that they have with the NYPD and reporting crimes.
4: Okay, having been homeless thirty two years, I have experienced this time after time. Um, a group of people who were attacked in Battery Park, who were homeless, went to the police, and the police said, "Oh, you shouldn't have been there." Um. I lived in, uh, um, I just wasn't, yeah, it was called a stabilization bed on the Upper West Side. And somehow someone got the key to all the rooms and they stole something out of my room at four o'clock in the morning. I went to the precinct and it was somebody's lunch hour, that the, the age lunch hour. And it's like, the only thing I could do is do a lost to stolen property report. People who are homeless who want to report crimes summarily get brushed off. It's like, for some reason, what you lose, what's done to you is not important. It's like you have lost your value as a human being, and that's the way you're perceived by the powers that be that are there to uphold your rights as a human being and a citizen or just the human beings. They, they they forgot about human rights. You don't have lots of money. You don't. They perceive that you're not putting into our budget or our union um, to get our salaries. And you're treated like you're a non-entity. getting right. that $4,000 a month.
0: Right. And uh, uh, you're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. We're talking with uh, Peter Malvin. Uh, he was unhoused for more than three decades, living on the streets in New York, uh, he has been house- had a home for the past year and a half, and he's the vice president of Midnight Run and a homeless advocate with the Safety Net Project. Uh, Peter, can you talk about the the many years uh, when you were both uh, houseless and also working? H- how difficult was, was it to make that uh, happen?
4: And well, to me, it wasn't all in retrospect, it was difficult, but then again, this is New York City and it wasn't. The reason it wasn't was because I could use New York City recreational centers to clean up. Um, since I was working, I could go to McDonald's and wherever else so I could change clothes in. McDonald's bathroom if I had to. Um, I found places a lot of times, even when I was working, I slept outdoors. I had sleeping bags. I'm the type of person who has a tendency to isolate anyway. And it's like New York, prior to the pandemic, a person to be homeless, hide, work um, within the DHS system. I have peers who were in encampments with me who worked as security, one of whom actually underwent surgery and got to work and was clean, did their job. It's like the number of people who are homeless, who even work in the Department of Homeless Services, you would find phenomenal. <laughs> wow. i worked with them recently for 15, 20 years. Wow. So what-
0: what, what does it feel like to have a, a house now you, uh, for the past year and a half? What, what's the, the change been like?
4: Actually, at first it was fun. Um, it was like I lived in the same house for 25, you no, know, maybe 29 years before I became homeless. And it's like the big deal is like, okay, what kind of furniture am I going to put in here? Um <laughs> And it's like, I can, I used to be a gardener. I, I have plants all over the place. Um, and yes, I do worry about um, my rent, um, but I get it paid. And it's I can cook for myself. I can plan a meal. I don't, it's like, I go to soup kitchens um, for the grab and go, but use this to, um, deal with people I know who are still homeless and ask them if they want to come in, because um, I can actually contact DHS
0: and get them a stabilization bed. Um and and you're now able to help uh, house some of the homeless?
4: Actually, that's not housing. Getting the person in a stabilization bed is yeah. getting them someplace where hopefully they have a room of their own, and they can do some isolation and um, kind of upgrade since um, within the city is very hard to find a place even to go to the bathroom. There are bathrooms in the buildings, um, and it's like this thing is like based. This 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 move is based on MTA rules. MTA rules are totally unlawful. Um, they're gearing the law towards the homeless specifically. Mm. Um, people bring motorcycles, scooters, people bring merchandise that's being transported from one place to another. But if a homeless person brings a car to the subway, they've <laughs> broken
2: the FTA
4: rule.
1: And speaking of um you having your house now and 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 being made to go into the subway um Can you talk about the relationship between evictions and and homelessness? Uh, We're about to speak with some tenants who are uh, fearing evictions. Um, Also, the eviction moratorium just expired for the first time in um, New York and in the state. There's 700,000 people, I think, who are waiting to be evicted now. So or open eviction cases. So can you talk about how many people that you know went from eviction to homelessness in that sort of pipeline? This is our last okay. question.
4: I lived in a neighborhood where they was stable. And when various economic epidemics hit, a lot of the peers, I have peers who are living um, great, but I have peers who've been through the system for years. Um, when they lost their homes, they had no place to go. They either they went in the subway if they had shame, or if they knew about social services, they went into the shelter system. A lot of them have died in the shelter system. And actually it's like, I don't know whether it's the mayor or the governor or the president of the United States, something has to be done because all of those people will also be under the auspices of being criminalized and not being able to get back on their feet because they have criminal records. Right. And can't pass a background
1: check. And they can't pass a background check. Um, I think you, you your, your audio went out there for a second, Peter. But Peter Malvin, um, homeless advocate and organizer, now housed. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us and all of our listeners on WBAI. We, we really, truly appreciate it.
4: May I add that we sued MTA over its unlawful um, rules. I'm part of Urban Justice and the Safety Net Project, and Mm -hmm. we actually sued them. And we could use all the backing we can get and all the witnesses we can get in order to, because if we can back them down on the rules, we can back the mayor's plan and everything else down. And move some money into housing.
1: Yes, absolutely. So everybody support uh, Vocal New York, Coalition for the Homelessness, Safety Net Project, Midnight Run, all these organizations. Peter, thank you so much. We are going to go to a short music break, and then we will be back with United Front Against Displacement and the Harlem River Houses. Was Love Cry by Albert Ayler. You are listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. I'm Amba Gergarian here with my co host, John Tarleton. Now, turning to our second segment. Slumlord CNC Management has just taken over the Harlem River houses and Linden houses from NYCHA. This means that the tenants of the complexes are no longer protected by Section 9 public housing laws and instead fall under Section 8 low income housing rules which are less protective. This privatization and gentrification scheme is being pushed by Eric Adams and puts roughly 600,000 people living in NYCHA buildings at a greater risk of eviction and bad conditions. On Saturday, tenants and alleys held a rally to speak out against the privatization. Sorry, that is tenants of the Harlem River Houses, held a rally to speak out against the privatization. Here, we're gonna go to a clip of Lydia, an eight-year tenant of the Harlem River Houses, speaking on Saturday at that rally.
5: Take this place. Then photo grounds, grand. everybody will be gone. Where were we going to live? The rich people are going to have a better place and we will be kicked out and we will have no place to live.
1: here to speak with us more about all of this are Vanessa, a tenant of Harlem River Houses, and Ryan, an organizer with the United Front Against Displacement. Vanessa, you're also a member of the organization, but welcome both of you to the show.
6: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Very glad to be here.
1: Thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Um, Ryan, we're just going to ask you first, um, what is happening at Harlem River Houses and how did we get here? Explain this privatization move.
7: Yeah, well, basically, going back several decades, the federal government and both parties have decided that public housing should go the way of the dinosaurs. And they've been pursuing one policy after another to transfer public housing over into the hands of private management companies who are funded and financed by the big banks. And there's been a series of different programs, Uh, most recently, the RAD and PACT program. And then the Blueprint for Change, which is a New York-specific program uh, that's being reintroduced this year, Uh, Harlem River was privatized and basically just handed over to CNC, who already is uh, working to drive tenants out, harass people, uh, and uh, stands to make quite a large profit off of this whole scheme at the expense of of, uh, everyone who pays taxes.
1: Right, and so now, Vanessa, tell us about the privatization, the experience of it. Have you noticed any changes in your building, harassment, conditions?
6: No, I haven't noticed any changes. I do notice that they they come around with their little brooms and they sweep the hallway. And that's about it. My neighbor, Lydia, that she listened to, she mm-hmm. had garbage in her incinerator for like 18 days. Then they took over and she tried to get that fixed. They told her wasn't anything they could do. It was in the same way in my building, but I took to Twitter, somebody I caught somebody's attention and mine got magically cleared like ASAP. It's like I'm not afraid of being homeless. I've been there, I've done that, but I wasn't on the street, you know, I would rent rooms, I stay with a friend here and there. I was going to school, well, I'm keeping them 4.0 GPA. I'm just worried about my granddaughter. We always wish what we're going to do. If it does happen, what would we do? I'm 62, retired EMT. Where am I going with her? I, I would have to go out of the state, and I don't want to live in anyone else's house. CSC had taken over Linden. Linden has no heat, no hot water. Some don't have water at all. Some um, don't have gas. And here, it's not gonna be any different. It's already starting. They're very rude when you try to approach them to say something about the, like the garbage situation, you know. and I'm just not gonna sign the lease. I'm working with Ryan and UFAD, and we're just gonna keep protesting, and we're just gonna keep fighting, and I do believe this is gonna turn around, but we just gotta make it bigger and thank you guys for having us. I'm, I was on with Reverend Whitney at one point with the same issue. So it's, it's an egregious situation that has, has to stop because there's going to be thousands and thousands of people homeless. Like in Ocean Bay, I think it's called the development. They moved them out of their homes, allegedly for six weeks to fix up. They never got back in. Over eighty families are homeless so somewhere in New York City. Families with children. It doesn't take six weeks to do a two-week job if you're going to renovate an apartment. And so, is, mm, I'm sorry.
1: No, no, it's okay. You're speaking about the the Ocean Bay complex. Why, give us a little background on that, and and it sort of being the pillar of example for this privatization.
7: Yeah. Well, the, the whole thing with this privatization is claiming the federal government doesn't have enough money for housing, so you got to bring in private companies. And of course, we see how much the military budget goes up each year, so clearly there's money to go around, just not the priorities aren't housing. So Ocean Bay was privatized I think it was five, six years ago, and uh, it was supposed to be the model for New York City, and it was a disaster. As Vanessa mentioned, a number of families, they signed this temporary move agreement where they're going to move out and then come back after the renovations had been done. And Around 80, didn't get to come back at all. The private management company used a few loopholes to say, which are designed loopholes, oh, you're not in good standing, you can't come back. Since they've taken over uh, the privatization, they've had the highest eviction rate per capita of any development in New York City. And what's more, the repairs are so shoddy, and this is not an exception. It's typical to other uh, privatized developments we've gone and investigated. The repairs are so shoddy. We actually, on our Twitter, recently posted a photo a tenant sent uh, that um, showed the tenant sent out that the, the siding of the building they fixed up five years ago was already falling off in big chunks. So tenants are very worried. What's more, uh, slumlords, not just like CNC, but also Reliant, who is one of the companies managing the building in the Bronx that caught on fire, are taking over private, uh, privatized developments. And tenants are very worried about the fire risks when these companies take over and shut off the heat as CNC has done at Linden houses, especially when their repairs involve tearing up the fireproof floors and so on.
0: Yeah. And Vanessa, we have to wrap up in a minute, but can um. Can you talk about uh, Saturday's protest and if people at Harlem River Houses uh, want to do more of that? And are y'all, what kind of communication y'all have with other NYCHA houses that are facing uh, similar situations?
6: Um, well, we plan to do more. We plan to uh, this Friday go to CNC's office, their main office on Park Avenue, and stage the protest there. Saturday was really great, We had a lot of support especially from Boston, because this is nationwide, it's just not New York City. And we had, I wish we had enough, more tenants, but as we keep going and knocking doors and giving out flyers and really showing these people, showing the tenants, what you're going to get, hopefully it'll get bigger. I think that our ultimate plan would be a march on Washington because Obama put this in place, with a swipe over the pen, Biden can take it away. So, our protest on Saturday was really successful. We had a lot of media coverage. I understand you guys were there. Thank you. Oh, yeah. And I keep, I learned Twitter in five minutes. I, I don't do social media, but I did. And we had a lot of coverage, and hopefully, more and more people. Will cover us. Mainstream media wants nothing to do with this. We plan
1: this. to continue to cover you, and we would love to see a tenants march on Washington. We would be right there with you. We're all tenants. So thank, thank you, you so much, Vanessa and Ryan, for joining us. Um, if thank you're you your in a similar situation, you can contact the United Front Against Displacement. That's the United Front Against Displacement to get involved. Thank you so much for joining us.
7: Can I just say real quick, the protest, for those who are interested, 11 a.m. on Friday at the corner of uh, Park and East 121st, that's 1735 Park Avenue. Thank you so much for having us.
1: Thank you. Thank you,
7: guys.
0: Okay, we're going to take a short music break and come back with our final guest. That uh, that was El Elbar Behedyak Lehi by Sheikh Imam. Uh, welcome back to listeners uh, on WBAI 99.5 FM. You're listening to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton al- here along with co-host Amma Gagarian. And uh, we will quickly pivot to our final segment. We have one more important topic we want to talk about tonight, which is the city's Uh, ongoing plans and machinations to transfer 250,000 retired city workers from the publicly run Medicare system to privately run Medicare advantage, or some might say Medicare disadvantage. Um, Joining us to talk about this uh, is Roberta Pixer. She's a retired public school teacher and a member of the cross union retiree organizing committee, uh, Eric Adams uh, kind of waffled on this uh, subject during the campaign when he was uh, looking for votes, but he recently came out and said he supports this transfer. Uh, Roberta, uh, y- your thoughts on on, on, on the mayor's uh, announcement of support for the transfer and also why uh, you can conti- you and other retirees consider this to be uh, such a detrimental decision. Roberta?
5: Sorry. Um, good evening and thanks for having me. I'd like to say first of all that the thread for your program tonight is basically the same that we people do we are non-entities, as as Mr. Malvin said. We stopped producing for the city, so we're non-entities. We can be sacrificed. People are living in public housing so they can be sacrificed. It doesn't matter That's why we all have to get together, all of us, and fight together. If there's a march, I think the retirees need to go. The people in public housing need to go. All of these folks need to come together because the city or the federal government is not saving money. They're giving our tax money to these private insurers, or these private real estate people. And that's what we have to be very aware of. And that's why we city retirees feel so betrayed. A lot of us had our jobs so that we could have good retirements, health insurance, we wouldn't have to worry. And lo and behold, our health insurance is being turned over to a private corporation that's just been formed. Only now it seems it's being sued by somebody for, For improper actions, it's not clear even who they are, the emblems or the alliance, but in any event, they're going to make money because our Medicare taxes that we pay for all these years are being, are going to be turned over to them. Right. And And tell us, because we're short on time, Roberta,
1: tell us specifically what is bad about Medicare
5: Advantage? How is it less protective? okay, there are plenty of Medicare Advantage plans and the city has promised this one is going to be much better than all those bad ones we hear about. But basically, you are interposing an insurance company between a patient and a doctor. And the insurance company wants to make money. These insurance companies with the Advantage or Disadvantage plans survive on capitation. That is, each person who enrolls is worth X amount of dollars. Yeah, we,
0: we have uh, 15 seconds, unfortunately.
5: Okay. This is a bad thing because people are going, not going to be able to see their doctors when they need to, because there's always the fear that the insurance company is going to say no after the fact, and then you're going to be responsible for the bill. Mm.
0: Okay. Well, uh, Roberta Pixer, we have to leave it there. Retired okay. school teacher. Member we of Cross Union East organizing committee. Yep, let's all get together. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, this wraps it up for tonight's show. We'll be back same time next week. Thank you to Reggie Johnson and our board operator, also Sue Briss, for some clips from the field. Ambo, what's our uh, final uh, song for tonight?
1: We're gonna listen to our last. I am free, which one day we all, Bill, we will be if Roberta said we stick together. <laughs> البحر يبيت حك لي ليه ليه, ليه وانا انا